I began crying out to God and saying, God, you've got to help me. <laughs> I didn't plan on this. I didn't know about it. But it was like all of a sudden a peace came over me and I had the craziest idea. This is Supernatural Business in Times of Crisis, the podcast. I'm Andrew Montesi, and I created this show to help empower and equip you to take on the impossible in business. This isn't your average business podcast. In the midst of a global crisis, I interview powerful leaders who will take you deeper, revealing how to operate in business from your position of power in God's kingdom, in faith instead of fear, helping you advance in adversity. There's supernatural breakthrough available for your business and your life today. Thanks for joining me again. My guest, Dr. Donna Townsend, is one of those inspirational people who has been called to lead in all aspects of her life, as an educator, pastor, mother, and grandmother. Donna is a retired university professor who continues to work with young people as superintendent at ECI Academy in Texas, while also teaching adult learners in the areas of property tax and real estate. Donna and her husband also lead a local church and speak in the US and overseas. All of that, along with family commitments, leads to a very full life. In this discussion, Donna tells incredible stories of how God delivered her from impossible circumstances with creative strategies straight from heaven, as well as the evolution of education and learning, what leadership looks like in adversity, and much more. Enjoy the chat with Dr. Donna Townsend. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, I want to start off by asking you, what does your world look like right now? Well, right now, it's almost like a paradigm shift. Everything seems to be surreal, um, very abnormal. Uh, if I look at it in the natural realm, it looks that way. But when I look in the spiritual realm, everything seems timely, it seems programmed, it seems right on course, especially for revival. So what it looks like around here is that we are partial shelter in place. Uh, we're able to go to stores, but we have drive-in or drive-through churches or online churches rather than in church congregations. And we're doing um, uh, public schooling in a homeschool setting, that kind of thing. And we stand apart when we shop together. <laughs> so it's just, it's just different. And, uh, and we're, we're getting used to it, kind of getting into the flow of it now. So how have you had to adapt to, to circumstances? Well, our family personally, we homeschooling. I have, um, adopted children. And so we've been working with them on a regular basis. Um, music lessons at home, uh, church services, drive-through. Uh, my husband's a pastor. Uh, that's been different. But we've had more time together. Uh, I find myself stopping everything and looking them in the face. And even spending time with Michael, my husband, to go walking on the property. And it's just um, things that maybe we would pass because everything's pressure and we've got to keep on the schedule and we must not leave anything out of all of the pressures. It's different now. It's really interesting, isn't it? Um, I'm interested to know how, how you've been walking this out with God 
through the, the, I guess, the evolution of what they're calling the crisis. So there's the immediate reaction. And then, as you mentioned, there's kind of almost settling into this weird groove that, that we have at the moment. Um, at first, you know, that momentary thing that I would have mixed feelings, like it's a hoax, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> oh, this could be really serious. We, our lives could be in danger. You know, it goes the either extreme and you're not only thinking about yourself, you're thinking about your family, the children, my husband, um, you're thinking about, oh, I'm so glad my grown up children are back home from mission field. You know, you think of all of those things at once and know that, you know, God's in our circumstances and the next thoughts you know, we've been through crises before and this time God will be faithful as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I saw a, a video, um, that I think your husband may have shared online where you were talking about how, how these times tend to reveal what's going on in the heart. Are you able to just, yes. uh, yeah, I, I came across that. Your, uh, your son-in-law shared it with me. Um, can you maybe tell us a little bit about that and, um, and yeah, kind of what you mean about um, that, that process of the heart through these testing times, because I know that a lot of people will, will be experiencing that right now. Sometimes we get going in such a fast pace in the fast lane that we don't stop to reassess where we really are with God and with, in our relationships with others. And this has made us stop and think, that while we may not be involved in a lot of things, we still have that heart to look into. And as I mentioned before, you know, it's deceptively wicked. Maybe we thought we loved God with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength. But when things are taken away and, you know, he's all that you have, he, he's really what you're all about. And you go back to the rock, you go back to your foundation of knowing God, knowing who he is, and all the times that you've been through, all the time you were growing up or growing up as a disciple, then that's the key is knowing what's in the heart. And uh, as I mentioned, sometimes uh, that comes down to ugly things that we don't even want to see. You know, like I mentioned, the stinginess and the hoarding. Um, you don't see that normally in people or they hide the selfishness, but if those things are there, they'll come out. And the friction in the home, if it's not a loving heart, then those times of irritation will will be shown in the highlight of the moment, in the tension. And we've even hear, heard about uh, suicides, the real tragic problems where people have their heart set on maybe money or jobs or careers or something, and when those are taken away, they don't know who they are or where to turn. And so you really find out where your heart is in times like this. It's a real refining process, isn't it? Yeah, um, that's a good way to say it. Uh, interested as a, as a leader, you know, a leader of a, a family, a church, students, what is the role of a, of a leader in, in a time like this when times get really tough? Well, maintain a calm and be grounded yourself. And 
I was thinking when it first hit as an administrator, you know, of the school especially, uh, I saw people panic and I would try to instill in them that no, this is the time when we act, we don't react. And I kept thinking of Roosevelt's phrase, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Uh, and I thought about that and instilling a calmness because we do have an anchor. I, I happened to wear a shirt I didn't plan on it, but that is what we're about is we're, we're grounded on the rock and things don't blow us apart as they might if we had no footing on the rock and instead the sand. Yeah, that's really well put. And I guess the other aspect um, that I'm interested in with leaders, um, you know, we're talking on this podcast, we have a lot of people in business who are listening in. How do, how do we go about providing hope uh, in the midst of so much uncertainty? For example, when a business leader may not be able to promise anything about the future uh, to their employees, how can a leader still provide hope in these times? Um, I think sometimes that we confuse faith and hope and uh, we, first of all, we have hope. The hope's about the future, you know. But if we have faith, that's the now. That's the belief, the strong faith, believing in a God who is faithful. And if we have that kind of faith, then it's natural to have a hope and a future. In fact, that's what uh, God said to Israel in terrible circumstances, right? You were drawn out of their homeland in, um, in Babylon, and they were in terrible circumstances, and it looked like they didn't have a future. But he said, oh, yes, if you believe in me, I have the plan. I have a future and a hope. And that's what it's about. It's not that circumstances will always be this way, and we, you know, we have nowhere to go. We have a hope. We have a future. And that's what we have to look for. And with that, we have a creative God who provides all kinds of um, life-quickening thoughts and ideas that help in businesses when they seem off-centered or dead-centered. They can be raised up. And that's kind of what I found, like in one of our our adventures, the property tax consulting is a pre-license that has always been in class or it's, you know, for years anyway. That's the only way you can get it. So people drive or fly in and take the course and it's for five days, 40 hours. But uh, during this crisis, I've asked to allow it to be on digital or video recording. And so I prepared the PowerPoint handouts and do the videos and, uh, it seems to be working fine. In fact, it's actually growing because real estate people who have had to go to class for their pre-license or continuing in are now coming for the distance. So we rethink the way we do things, but maybe that's the best because we get new life in them. And it's a cre- he's a creative God, and so we should look for the creative ways to do things and not see it as, uh, an end in itself, but a challenge to overcome these. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. And I love um, that opportunity uh, that that comes out of these type of situations. I guess to continue on this, on this leadership angle, 
the the tension that many leaders find is that that tension between like me leading and God leading, and how do we actually partner together in appropriate in an appropriate way so that it's not me feeling like that I have to drive this as a leader. Okay, some years ago I read a book, and I can't think of the author at the moment, but it's God is my CEO. And when you think of God as your partner, your leader, it's not your business. <laughs> it's his business or your joint partners together. And, in fact, I have on my desk a picture of a businessman sitting, talking to Jesus who's standing and helping him and giving him advice. And that stays in my mind that he's the one leading and he's the one making the decisions. And I've found more and more that as I seek him and as I stay in the word, then he will show me um, and tell me things that I need to do. And sometimes in advance of the situation, like I had, you know, a, a feeling, a sense that God was moving in a certain direction and I moved ahead to get a corporation in place. And then later, when the opening came for my charter school to start it, uh, as which is a business adventure as well as education venture, uh, I had to be in place for two years. But I didn't know that when I started. And so he had already prepared me. And over and over, when we'd have to make a move, we outgrew our facilities or something, um, I'd pray for direction. And I would often dream of the place, and I would see it. And then when I saw the place, I would recognize, oh, this is where we're supposed to be. Well, that's not natural. That's a supernatural leaning. And so sometimes I have prayed for a covering so that I wouldn't make mistakes and be redirected, maybe at the last moment. And I'm going, oh, God, you saved my life. Then You know, you really helped me during that time. But uh, also, he provides creativity. I mentioned that, but that's been a big part of my life. Do you mind if I get to illustrations Please of do. that? Yeah, I love that. Okay. I, um, I've worked at different universities, but I got called in one university on a Friday at the beginning of semester, and the vice presidents were there, and the dean, graduate dean, undergraduate dean, and I was told that I needed to change my benchmarks for social studies, and I'm going, I was head of the department, and I, I was going, I can't do that. And I heard all the rationalization, like nobody will ever know, uh, just this once, all those things. And I go, no, I, I can't see that as an ethical option. But the, the truth was that I had either to do some of those things or lose my certification to teach or lose my job, you know, in the process. And so, um, I heard, well, just change it for that major. What about the English majors? What about the the other education, the music majors, so on? What about the math majors? And then I heard, um, just do it this one time. Texas Education Agency will never know. And I go, yes, we report every semester. You know, so it was like, and after two hours later, I walked out thinking, I'm going to have to get another job at the beginning of the semester. I'm in a terrible fix. And as I was praying and saying, God, you're a creative God. Help me out of this dilemma. Nothing's, no direction is right. He dropped an idea in my mind. I'd brought up other degrees before. 
I had uh, started them from beginning every course, every semester, who's going to teach it, the time slots, um, the learning objectives, the exams, the textbooks, all the way through for four years. And it's a long process. I mean, it's like going through the faculty council, going to the administration, the board of regents, getting in the catalog, and a lot of other issues along the way. And so I knew it would take time. But I thought, I'm going to try it. You know, you have to take a risk in any business endeavor. And a creative risk may be the scariest of all. And so as I began to pray, God helped me. I stayed up a couple nights, but on Monday morning, it was ready. A new degree called non-certification education degree, which wouldn't allow students to teach in the public school setting, but they could teach in the private school setting, and they could teach overseas, but they don't care about a Texas certification as long as you have an education degree. So I sent it by email to all those folks that I talked with on Friday. They loved it. They could keep up the numbers in the education program, and the, the students would not have to make the benchmarks, and the graduate dean's daughter, who is the faculty member, would have a full load. It was perfect. And now other colleges in Texas are using it as well. It was like a God-creative moment. And one other situation I got into, I find myself in these dilemmas, but uh, it was two weeks before school started, a new charter was opening in Garland. It was wonderful. Uh, I'd had a list from the fire department of all the things that need to be changed in this great building, 20,000 square foot sections. It had been an aeronautic building uh, place for Garland. And it was just ready to go. We had the students enrolled. The faculty were there putting up bulletin boards, last-minute decorations. And the construction crew were doing last-minute tape and bedding, you know, those kinds of things getting ready. It was just exciting. So I called down to the building codes uh, in Garland and said, you got to come out and pull the green permits. We've got to start school in two weeks. And he came out and looked all around. And then he measured the hallway. It was like uh, a two, uh, it was like 20,000 square foot section, but the center one was a perfect lockdown and safety for school children. Um, it was glass doors and then shutting. And then the, all the way in the center was this wide hallway. You get wheelchairs passing in it. It was wonderful. You go past the classrooms into the, the bathroom, the cafeteria, out to the playground. It was just perfect. But he, he walked and he said, I'm not going to prove it. I'm going, you're what? He said, no, I'm not going to prove it. I said, what's wrong? What could possibly be wrong? I did everything on the list you gave me in the spring. Here it is two weeks before school starts. And he said, well, that hallway's six inches too narrow. Uh. This is the big one that goes all the way through the building. And he walked away just like, that's it. I'm not going to change. And he said, if you try to start, the fire marshal will shut you down. And so I'm going, oh, my goodness. I have to have six months notice for an expansion to another geographical area. Area. I had already gone to the city council and got approval for it in the industrial zone, but I'd got soil samples. I had talked to the former mayor. I had got a statement from all the businesses around that it was safe. And there was a private school a few blocks away and a daycare a block away. And so they voted unanimously to let me open. So everything was perfect. But now I can't move anywhere else. And all the parents have their kids enrolled. 
and I have all of the faculty signed contracts, and if I break one of them or all of them, they could sue me. Any of them could. And wow. I am in a terrible dilemma. If I try to do it, I'll be shut down and I'll lose my license either way or certification to teach. So I began crying out to God and saying, God, you've got to help me. <laughs> I didn't plan on this. I didn't know about it. But it was like all of a sudden a peace came over me and I had the craziest idea. Creative risks are really crazy when you're following God. It's a real ride. <laughs> uh, sometimes not a joyful ride. But anyway, I got my husband's old four-by-four truck and his parcel. And I went down to a day labor shop where uh, sometimes aliens or people come in. And I go, does anybody speak English? Anybody have a driver's license? Anybody have a social security card? One of them did. So I instructed him to... Get all 20 of those guys in the back of my truck. And I drove down to the school and I got all the workers that were there and the mill teachers to get on one side of the wall and the new workers that I picked up on the other side. And I said, okay, cut the wall all the way across the top with the parcel and all the way at the bottom and the adjoining walls on the left and get on either side. And when I shout one, two, three, you move that wall six inches over. And they did. And then they taped and embedded it. We bought tile that was identical. And then I had the hardest time getting the guy from the city to come out and remeasure it. But he finally did, and begrudgingly. And then he measured it was perfect. And he just walked away shaking his head when he signed in prayer and moved out of school. Now we have three campuses instead of the one. But it was a God moment. And I'm thinking, if he can bring down walls in Jericho, he cares about my business. And other people's businesses all over the world. He cares about their livelihood. He cares about their land. He cares about anything that upsets us or makes us anxious. And we can take the view that there is no way out. And I'm doomed no matter what I decide. Or we can say, God, I cry out to you as the children of Israel facing the Red Sea and the mountains behind. Um, then at some point, you know. God intervenes, and he is faithful to do that. So good. A couple of amazing stories there. I mean, I, I love it on so many levels, but I think you're right. That creativity, because in times of pressure, in times of crisis, we tend to just think in the natural, what, what can I do? Um, we look at our circumstances and we think, well, it's not possible. But I love that both times you've, you've cried out, You've cried out, and I think that's the key is that, yeah. yes. that we need to cry out, don't we? Yes. Yeah. When we're at the, the end of our abilities, then his unlimited abilities kick in if we allow them. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, the other thing that that's stood out to me is you have a way of dealing with a very high level of bureaucracy, um, which, which I think plagues education in every country in the world. How have you navigated that? Because it would seem like you would need a fair bit of God creativity to just get through that every day. Um, you know, there is a lot of bureaucracy, and I deal with several state agencies for different trade groups as well as the Texas Education Agency. And uh, usually building up a rapport with them and faithfully reporting, faithfully turning things in on time and deadlines, you know, establishing that. And then 
ask God to move on their hearts. I mean, sometimes it's a Pharaoh situation, but ultimately, God is for his people, and he will supply it, and he will provide, even if he has to change Pharaoh's heart or put in a Joseph who's going to the provisional leader for the next seven years or whatever. He already has people in place in businesses all over the world, and he's put them there to provide the jobs and the employment, to educate the children. He's put Christians in all those fields of work. And now he will help them and give them sustenance and creativity, if you will, to help with the, all the crises. Brilliant. Now, I'm keen to um, just pick up on uh, the topic of education a bit more. What do you see God doing in education right now? Because it felt like it was going through a fair bit of transformation even before all of this global crisis stuff came up. There's been a tighter and tighter control of government in education. Before in times past, the parents were the leaders and they were to guide the education. And even though there were school teachers and and education entities, it was still a big responsibility on the parents. But over the years, we've gotten away where the parents want the schools to discipline the children for them, to educate them, and if there's any training about the world Christian worldview, it's not going to come from parents often, and they're not getting it in school. And this is a time now where education is homeschooled again, and it's very frustrating, and it's a tearful situation, and parents are, are very upset, but they're having to take ownership of it again and get some authentic learning done right in the home, which may not be the best because parents aren't trained to be teachers. I realize that. But it's but still, they have an, a view of education that they haven't had in a long time. And schools have more flexibility on the local level than they've had in recent years. So can the children be taught? We're going to see. We're going to see and be, maybe reevaluate the whole system. Because now we realize much of it can't be digital learning. And that requires students to dig more for themselves and not to have it spoon-fed by a teacher in a classroom environment where you have to teach to the mediocre level of even the lowest in the classroom. So um, students can move at a faster pace now. We want to. There's more individualized help. Um, but it's not the ideal. And I'm still for public education and private schooling, and tutoring and that kind of thing. But I can see where maybe this is opening the eyes of some who have backed away from any responsibility of teaching. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting times, that's for sure. Um, I guess even more, more broadly, how do, we, how do we partner with God to teach in these times? Uh, because, um, and that's not just to teach our, our kids in the home with homeschooling, but um, but even more generally, uh, we were talking about leadership. Leaders have a really key role at the moment to teach and to impart. As an educator, how do we how do we partner with God to do that? Jesus was the best teacher ever, and he often asked questions and allowed people 
to use their life experiences in explaining spiritual truths. And now, when the children are at home and the, actually the teachers and the faculty have more creativity and more ability now to develop lessons, and they're using things in the home. Uh, this past week, um, two of mine were given science experiments in the home using a home ingredients, spices, and so on. And they also planted some in the garden, which they saw firsthand, science and nature working together. So some of those may be more hands-on, where it has not become so much more a classroom setting. Um, uh, but the responsibility of learning and inquiry and um, may need less structure as we've routinely seen it and more uh, searching and researching and questioning. It's that helping students to find that aha moment where they really understand it in very relevant terms and practicality. Yeah, very good. And to, uh, I guess the flip side of that question is how do we then partner with the Holy Spirit to be, to be good receivers, to be good learners? And I'm not, you know, I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about adults. I mean, this is such a, this is such a critical time where God will be teaching us so much. And, um, I'm sure many of our listeners in business or otherwise, uh, would need to understand how, how they can actually position themselves to be able to learn and receive uh, these valuable lessons at this time? What I think the key to really hearing God and knowing what he has and getting direction from him requires daytime getting in the word and talking to him. And then often I find at night or just before waking, I actually hear him in my spirit giving directions. And I think it was a prophet Habakkuk who said, I will arise and see what the Lord is saying, which sounds like oxymoron. You hear what he's saying, but he said, see, because he was a seer, he is a prophet. And I think God will, if we fill our days with God, then even our nights, our waking moments, we will be able to be sensitive to what God is saying in the way he's leading and the impressions on our heart and we'll be much more open to him. If we're so fast and we don't take time to rely on him during the day, we're not going to be open to him spiritually when he does speak or maybe hear him as he's always speaking to us and trying to communicate with us. Um, we're shut off and now we have time to renew that relationship of fellowship and just walking with God. Like I think in the Garden of Eden, you know, fellowship with him. And I think he will show us, begin to, we'll see things in our spirit and, and discern, have an understanding about situations. Like even though the world seems a little bit uneasy and topsy-turvy right now, yet in the spirit realm, it seems everything's right on course. When we stop and think, it is it is the most exciting time, not the most depressing time, spiritually, to see what God's doing and how he's going to lead us in education, in all endeavors, because he's interested in all aspects of our lives, all of our endeavors. 
Yeah, so good. Uh, I guess as we, um, you know, talking about leadership, talking about education, I'm really interested in in your thoughts on the next generation. We're talking about a future that is unprecedented. Uh, most people can't really see what's going to be coming around the corner, and we've got a generation that are really being born into this. As as people who haven't experienced this before, as as leaders and mentors, how do we how do we support, encourage, and um, and empower the next generation to come through this uh, with God? Well, what we want is a generation who knows God and is experiencing. And years ago at a graduation speech, and I often walked through it in my mind before, um, I talked about the third generation, like Abraham was a, a man, a prophet who knew God, who's God's friend. And he built altars and prayed, and he was always sacrificing, dedicating everything in his life to God. But Isaac, we don't hear him offering a lot of sacrifices. He just inherited everything. He knew from Abraham's experiences, and he would seem more submissive, but he was more passive, and he didn't start it. And then the third generation, Jacob, he ended up having to fight to regain a relationship. He wanted it the easy way, the subtle way, the deceitful way to have an experience with God. But it all came back. He had to fight it out and have warfare and work to get that relationship. And the frightening thing is the Bible says, talks about there was a generation that grew up who knew not God. They didn't know God at all. And so we have to help them realize that it has to be experiential. It has to be sacrificial. We have to appeal to them. It has to be all or nothing. I mean, really strong. Um, and then it has to be something that's genuine, can't be deceitful. It, and it's not inherited. They have to experience it. And so my heart cries that they will experience a genuine revival, that they will know God because there are so many pressures and drugs and crime and all kinds of things to distract them and social media and all those kinds of things. But if they have a genuine experience of God, it doesn't matter about the outward circumstances. The inward pressure pushing out will be much more powerful than all the pressures pressing in on their lives. That's a perfect lead into to my next question, which was to, to pick up on your earlier comment um, around, you know, seeing that that we we are on the edge of potentially a revival. What what does the future look like and what do you see on the other side of crisis? I'm hoping that people won't go back to the old norm. But they will use this time to set a standard that's above the norm or the mediocre. And they will go, I'm going forward. I'm not going to be caught in these situations again without a God to stand on and lean on. He's a rock. He's our assurance. And hopefully they will look back and say God was faithful during the really rough time. In times may get worse, I and mean, it may not be a, 
coronavirus, but it may be something else. And if we have this experience that we have been with God and he's walked us through it, then whatever we face in the future on the other side of this, he'll be with us there too. Yeah. Do you have any um, any thoughts about uh, what's coming in business or, or, or the economy as well? Ooh. Well, I'm not a financier. Uh, I don't control the Federal Reserve, <laughs> nor, <laughs> nor Congress, uh, or the President, uh, any of those. But I'm hoping that it will be better. I mean, we have more people in America leaning on government support than we had during the Great Depression. And that's been going on for some time. They're not open soup lines, but um, they're... There are difficult times, and people have come to rely on government uh, to the extent that maybe they don't have initiatives sometime, even to create jobs or to work at jobs. It's easier just to give in to generational poverty idea. But I'm hoping that uh, we have some sharp-witted people, some people who will listen to God and put him first. and rightfully care for those that are really needy and poor and help them in the crisis so that we can help each other. Now, Donna, I've, uh, I've really loved our chat, but um, I've got my last set of questions, um, which I'm asking of all our guests, which is yeah, to equip our listeners with some weapons to help, help them get through some, some challenging times. Now, I wanted to firstly ask, what's one daily habit that you'd recommend for people to get on the front foot every day? Um, At the beginning of the day, begin with praise. Because praise lifts you up to see God is higher than your circumstances. A leader, creator. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, but remember him all the time. You know, just focus on God because then everything else is small in comparison. Every situation is small. God is greater, and he's faithful. And if we can focus on God from the beginning on, God, lead me, direct me, take delight in my steps. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Um, Scriptures that uplift God and uplift us and everybody around us will be like a sponge if they touch us. We'll just ooze, you know, the presence of God and sweetness, whether it's in business connections or education or family, um, they will sense that you've been with God, you're different, and circumstances aren't pressuring you the way they are other people. So start each day with God and know that he's, he's with you. You mentioned the scriptures. Is there a verse in particular that's, that you lean on in times of pressure or for, for inspiration? Um, you know, I mentioned that God is my rock, the Lord is my rock and my deliverer, my fortress. Uh, and trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. Those are scriptures that have meant a lot all of my lifetime, but maybe even now more so. Um, as I get older, I, I realize I need to trust him, not just for myself now, but for my family, my church. Trust in circumstances and commit them to God. Commit your way, you know, ways to God. Uh, I think those scriptures about trusting 
is key to me now. That's good. And what about a, a worship song to, to set the right atmosphere or, um, yeah, that, that you might lean on, particularly in those times of praise? I, I still like Terry McAlman's uh, tapes. I often pray with them. Um, I come to worship you or I sing praises to your name. Um, those are uplifting, um, not focusing so much on myself. You know, some songs are about me, you know, you see me or whatever, but focusing on God. Very good. Now, what about a book? Is there a book you'd recommend? You know, you may be surprised about this. I read recent ones. In fact, I'm a reader. I love to read taught English literature for a long time. But in the last few weeks, I keep going back to The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. And when people are really grumbling about things, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's no comparison. It's a total contrast. And yet, those times where she said things like, there is no pit too deep that you are not there. Or when her um, papa uh she wanted to carry the big heavy suitcase and he told her, I'll carry it until you're able. And I think my suitcase is too heavy sometimes to carry it. And then um, just so many things, I think, wow. Um, it's narrowed it down to the basics in life. And I find myself doing it. In fact, this week, uh, one of my daughters saw that I had the book out. She said, can I read this? And I noticed that in quiet moments, she's reading it too. And I'm going, it speaks to another generation. We, we can't forget the Holocaust, but we can't forget the truths that people like Corey Ten Boom um, taught us over the time. So, yeah, that's a book just recently that I've gone back to. Yeah, that's really good. Hey, that's a great one. And... And finally, uh, I wondered if you'd um, yeah, release a, a prayer for our listeners um, who um, would need some encouragement uh, right now. I, w- I would be glad to. Awesome. Father, I thank you for this time spent in sharing what you've done in our lives. And we ask that the God of all comfort would now comfort the needs of those who are hurting. Give them resources. Let them feel your loving arms about them. I pray for those who are lacking in provision that you, out of your abundant resources, would provide those needs. Supply as only you can. I pray for those who don't know you that they'll be drawn to an irresistible relationship of love with you that they will easily be able to surrender their lives to you in faith and love, knowing that they can trust you to be the faithful Savior and Redeemer. And I pray that Christians and Christ followers all over the world will rise up at this time and that they would proclaim, maybe through the iCloud or through social media, into the heavenlies and back to earth, transforming earth in a way that will say with strong proclamation, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Redeemer, Jesus is soon coming King. Amen. Amen. 
So good. I've um, absolutely loved our, our time uh, and this discussion, Donna. So thanks so much for, um, yeah, for being so generous with us and sharing your story. Um, I think it's really powerful. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. And I'm keen to connect with you, hear how you're doing, and also send you some free resources. Make sure you sign up at supernaturalbusinesspodcast.com and you'll hear from me soon.